you. It's me, Graham Norton here. Thank you so much for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. As we get ready for Eurovision, it's time for the pre-party. Actor Joe Alwyn chats about swapping the period costume for a T-shirt and jeans in the brand new BBC adaptation of Sally Rooney's Conversations with Friends. Our last Eurovision winner, Katrina, from Katrina and the Waves, is back with a new single, Holiday, and we chatted about that and the heady days of that 1997 win. This year's entry, Sam Ryder talks about taking his new single Spaceman to Turin for this year's Eurovision competition. And show chef Martha's got some treats in store for us. That's all to squeeze in. But first, let's catch up with Maria and solve some more of your Graham's Guide Dilemmas. Are you wearing a cardigan? A bed jacket, perhaps? I'm wearing my bed jacket. Of course (laughs) I am, Graham. What I am wearing, bizarrely, sitting talking to you early on a Saturday morning, is false eyelashes. Can you believe it? (laughs) I'm glad you made the effort. This might go viral. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I'm in the southwest, Graham, and I am filming a top-secret uh, project for the BBC. Oh, my goodness. And um, I'm ready to go on set with my false eyelashes and false bosoms and hips. <gasps> Fabulous. So when you say southwest, I'm thinking Bristol? No, further south. Further Devon. south. Devon. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I'm in Devonia and it's Scorchio. Are you? Are you acting in um, the attitude? You know, Anne Cleves, she's got that new detective down in North Devon. Are you in that? I cannot divulge what we're doing, Graham, here. In fact, even the production company cannot divulge because nobody's really decided at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Either that or they're being very mysterious. I can't decide which. I think the former, frankly. But But how are you? How was your holiday? Well, it wasn't a holiday. I never took a a day off, did I? Well, I did for my birthday. But then uh, the rest, I was working hard. I was on the the radio talking to you. But I had a very nice time. We were in the States and I had a very nice time. Uh, saw lots of friends and uh, it was all good. All good. Quite and nice did you miss me? Did you miss me? I talked to you every weekend for you a long time. <laughs> <laughs> when you say a long time, it's only 25 minutes. But I'm sure for you that is a long time. You're a very busy man. <laughs> It was very nice getting back yesterday because the sun was out and London looked amazing. I was driving through, coming from the airport, we were driving through kind of weird bits of South London and I was thinking, even this looks nice today. I, wow. Oh, well, everything looks much better in the sunshine, doesn't it? I'm looking at some hills, but I don't know where, where they are or what they're called. Devon? But, yeah, that's it. The <laughs> Devon Hills I'm yeah. looking at. Yeah. And we all we all studied geography, uh, but can you at least tell us? Are you are you so you, are you acting in this mystery project? No, I am not acting. Oh, oh! Is it the return of Big Brother? That's coming back. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I am canvassing. No, I'm not really. <laughs> I'm canvassing. I am the new leader of the Tory party. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Good luck. Um, Thank uh, you very much. It's going to be a tough job, Graham, but I think we can do it. No, I'm not doing that. I'm absolutely not doing that. But um, I am sort of still showing off, so that's quite good to know, isn't it? And how long are you in North Devon for? Until the 23rd of the May. Wow. So this is a long time. I know. I'm missing my dog. Oh, no. Dolly in North Devon. Oh, no. I know. And then I found out that the hotel will take dogs after all. But anyway, it does not matter. (laughs) 
We are professionals in this. My false eyelashes are very itchy. I don't know how you found them, Gwen, because you had to do a play where you wore them every night. Yes, but I applied them myself, so they weren't that well attached. They, <laughs> they were there momentarily. Now, in your North Devon abode, has the postman managed to find you? It's extraordinary, you know, how clever the Virgin Radio people are because they've all reached me. I have sackfuls daily. Marvellous. Well, I look forward to hearing your two favourites. Virgin Radio. Right, first letter, please. Dear Graham and Maria, my brother rang me up asking whether we could look after their kids, three and five, and their dog over the weekend as they were going to a wedding. Originally, my parents were due to look after the kids at my brother's house, but they became ill and it was too late to cancel. We were not happy about it as it meant we had to change a number of plans. Plus, we have a six-month-old. However, we agreed. It turns out that my parents aren't ill. They just didn't want to drive two and a half hours to my brother's house. Part of me feels that my brother should call them out, but he doesn't want to, as we've agreed to look after the kids and dog, and he doesn't want to rock the boat. We feel really put out, as we feel like we're the only ones who've had to change plans. Should we confront my parents about this, or do we let this one slip under the net? And that is from Oliver in London. Oh, Oliver in London, families are so difficult because each kind of minor occurrence just triggers any number of things from the past about parents, about siblings. It's not just ever the immediate problem at hand. However, you have agreed to look after the kids. It's a weekend and the dog, sorry, shouldn't forget the dog. And your parents, you know, they're elderly. They've kind of done their job. Yes, they love their grandchildren, but driving two and a half hours to look after them so that your brother can go to a wedding, you know, it's like you either take the kids or get someone nearer to look after the kids. You're doing it. I really don't think, though, Oliver, that you should confront your parents about this and you should indeed let it slip under the net. They're older. They didn't want to do it. They should, of course, have said no. They should have been honest about it and said no. But, of course, that sounds terrible. I don't want to look after the (laughs) grandchildren and the dog for the weekend. You've got them. It's agreed now. Put this one in the bank, Oliver, in London, because they owe you. So next time you need the six-month-old being looked after, or however old, um, then you've got them. They owe you one. So, you know, it's all about give and take with families. And if... If you talk to your parents or if you talk to your brother about it or if you cause a scene, it's not worth the effort. It's a weekend. Graham, what do you think? Yes, I think all that's happened here is parents were a bit quicker off the mark than you, Oliver, and they got out of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's all. And now you're cross because you've got to think, ooh, I stupid parents, they they got out of it, now we're stuck with it. I think, Oliver, a couple of things here. One, What the hell were your plans? You've got a six-month-old baby. You weren't going to an all-night rave or anything. I mean, you know, what were you doing? I bet it was nothing that exciting or interesting. So just, you know, do it. Just look after these two kids and a dog and your brother and his wife can go to a wedding. That's great. And here's the thing. 
as Maria says, you've got a baby. I mean, if you were si- if you were single or if you were childless, I would understand your irritation more. But the fact is, you're going to be you're going to be going to a wedding. You're going to be looking for someone to look after this child of yours. So uh, that you roll with the punches. I think. Surely the point of having an extended family, of having your parents who are still well enough when they're not ill or pretending to be ill, uh, you know, having your parents, having your brother and his wife, that's great because there's there's more people to spread the load around. And as a dad yourself, Oliver, you should get that, that, you know, the work you put in, you will be rewarded. Whereas if you just, you know, if you've got a face like a slap something then you know <laughs> people aren't going to be uh, re, they're not going to be rushing to help you so I think d- you're absolutely right Graham that you know they didn't he's crossed you know the plans are kind of you know that's just a sideline he's crossed that he didn't get off the mark sooner I, here's a lesson Oliver keep a list by the phone of excuses <laughs> um, we've got to take the baby to the clinic I'm, I'm having major dental surgery that weekend uh, we are going to see my my wife's parents. You just keep a list of excuses. You've got to be quicker off the mark because clearly your mum and dad are old hands at this now. They know how to do it. You know, maybe they had other plans. But this really, this letter is, I think, Graham, about family and how family can be annoying. But you're putting yourselves out for your family and sure as, you know, night follows day, you will need your brother and your parents at a later stage with a six-month-old baby. So... Just bank it, Oliver, and let it go. Yeah. Don't you get the feeling that Oliver's parents have had COVID about six times? (laughs) (laughs) I I get the feeling that Oliver's parents don't really like any of their children. (laughs) Not surprised. Just look after some people. I'm sure lots of listeners have uh, had childcare things and, and and siblings and parents taking advantage and not pulling their weight. Uh, do get in touch. And my favourite responses today will be receiving... Mm-hmm. Uh, Waitrose Summer Churros. Oh, lovely. They are sprinkled with cinnamon, sugar, and they come with chocolate sauce. I mean... That's a treat. That's a nice summer treat. Lovely. That's what you're going to be getting. OK, Gemma from Dorchester says, they should have taken a leaf from the parents' book and faked illness or being bold and simply said no. Except, like I say, they've got a kid. You know, they're going to be looking for help too. So the more you help, the more help you get. Uh, Becky's in Wiltshire. He did not have to agree to look after the kids. Also, he is now owed a childcare favour, so that's a win. Don't call out parents. Nothing to do with you, but your brother could if he wants to. Probably not worth the aggro. I'm with you, Becky. So little, so little is worth the aggro. I like that phrase. Is it worth the aggro? No. Ellie writes, Oliver should call out his brother, not his parents. Oh, yes. Also, Oliver should have a word with himself and learn how to say no. Why did he agree? Having done so, he needs to chalk it down to experience and bank the favour for the future. Why say no, though? You know, why say... You're you're stuck at home with a six-month-old anyway. You're looking after that. So chuck in a three and a five. You know, that's the future. And at least there's a dog to cheer you up. So, I don't know. Uh, Kirsten's in York. How lovely for you, Kirsten. You will need your brother and parents so very much in the future unless you plan on never leaving your child to enjoy some much-needed child-free time. If anything, make a big show of how supportive you are and how wonderful it is to have each other to help out. 
wise words from Kirsten in York. And Joan Preston says, enjoy the time with your niece and nephew. It's a privilege to be part of a family and they should just give a little love and have a fun time. Ah, Joe loves life. I tell you what, I'm going to give the uh, summer churros sprinkled with cinnamon sugar and they come with chocolate sauce to uh, Kirsten in York for her wise words. Graham's Guide. Dear Graham and Maria, my partner and I are getting married soon and we have the classic bridesmaid dilemma. I had selected three of my best mates and my sister to be in the bridal party. They're very They're all very easygoing, and I was looking forward to it being just a few of us. However, my meddlesome aunt has assumed that her strange teenage daughter is going to be a bridesmaid. Think of a typical only child raised by an iPad. Ooh, that's harsh. My cousin is rather socially awkward, and I don't think she'd really enjoy being a bridesmaid, as she likes her own company, but she will do what her mum tells her to. Unfortunately, when I was a child, I was a bridesmaid for my aunt's wedding, along with my sister. And I also think we were only bridesmaids for the wedding photograph. Don't really know what that means. But does this mean I am obligated to have my awkward teenage cousin to be one of my bridesmaids? Please help. I don't want to cause a diplomatic incident because my aunt tends to take everything personally. And that is from Sarah in Hull. Well, Sarah in Hull, congratulations on your forthcoming wedding. And everybody has a a wedding dilemma. We've said it a million times. This is your day, Sarah in Hull. If you want to get married while you're hang gliding, if you want to do it bungee jumping, if you want to do it underwater, this is how you and your partner want to get married. And nobody should dictate to you. What you have to do is be very clear. This is your wedding day. You've got four bridesmaids already expensive on the polypropylene dresses um, and, you know, endless amounts of tulle. So you can't afford to have another bridesmaid, perhaps. And also, they're all your mates. You don't want somebody that you don't really know to be your bridesmaid. So you just, I'm afraid you have to suck this up. This is your day. Remember that. You have to be strong with your aunt and Make up an excuse, a white lie, why you're only having four. You've decided that's a lucky number, that's your partner's lucky number, whatever. You decide and you tell your aunt, I'm really sorry, but blah, 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 but we'd love to see you all there and um, it will be great. And I know I was your bridesmaid, but, you know, you don't have to just replicate what happened 20, 30 years ago. So clearly you don't need to say anything to your socially awkward cousin because she doesn't really want to do it anyway. It's just your aunt. And if she takes offence and if she takes it personally, so be it. It's her choice. She can come to the wedding. She can decide to make a bigger deal of it by not coming to the wedding. But you must stand firm. And that goes for every decision you're making within your wedding. You have to do what you and your partner want And nobody else has any say in it because this is your day. And hopefully you'll only do this once and you'll regret (laughs) bending to other people's opinions. Sorry, Sarah in Hull, I wish you all the best. Graham, what do you think? Yes, you will not want to look back at photographs and see this weird child. Like, the, you know... (laughs) turning in, her into a monster. Well, I imagine her like that child in, what's that Japanese horror film, The Ring? where <laughs> Just a long hair brushed over her face, holding an <laughs> iPad while she's in holding the wedding photographs. <laughs> um, 
I just think, Sarah, look, you're, th here's the thing. Don't, in a way, don't worry about it because you know, I, I, we've never met this aunt. We already know that whatever you do, even if you decided, all oh, right, cousin can be a bridesmaid, aunt still will be annoyed and upset because, oh, she didn't feel very included or, uh, oh, it was a shame she was at the end of the line of the bridesmaids or, oh, what a pity there wasn't room at the top table for, you know, just, she's one of those people uh, who is just going to be mealy-mouthed and moany about the whole thing. So give her something to moan about, I would say. Um, yeah. Or make everyone a bridesmaid. You've already got four. Just make every woman at the at the wedding a bridesmaid. And then they'll all be included. I, four bridesmaids. Is that... Am I wrong? That does seem excessive. Or is, is that normal, Maria? Well, some people have 15 bridesmaids. But you also, Sarah, in Hull, I don't know what sort of relationship you have with the creature from the ring with an <laughs> iPad. Um, but, you know, you might want to talk to her and say, your mum wants you to be a bridesmaid, but I know you wouldn't really like it, central tension and all of that. So, you know, I'm going to... I, I, I'll say to her, no, she doesn't want to be a bridesmaid. You could do it that way. I don't know what the relationship is like, but you just need to hold firm on this. And Graham is right. I mean, we've certainly taken again your aunt yeah. because the control is not hers. No, this is, and also, I don't know who she's a sister of, whether it's your mom or your dad, but they need to have your back. You, you need to be a, a joint frontier because you need to kind of go, look, Blah, blah, blah. Yes, yeah, I was a bridesmaid at your wedding years ago. But, you know, as you were saying, you know, they're not the House of Windsor. It's not like sort of these age-old traditions, you know, <laughs> daughter of sister, she'll... You know, no. Who cares? It's just some pals and her sister in some nice shiny dresses on the day. And, <laughs> you know... And cousin will be at the back on her iPad. <laughs> We've really dissed the bridesmaid dresses here, haven't we? But also, Sarah in Hull, your aunt assuming that her daughter, you say that she has assumed, where was the, Where did the assumption come from? I want to say to you as well, Sarah in Hull, do this now. Do not wait any longer. It's, it's bugging you, clearly. You've written to us. And the longer you leave it, the harder and worse it's going to get. And the assumption will get stronger. So really... Knock this on the head now, nip it in the bud, and other words like that. Yeah, and, and it, or just remember, there is no pleasing this woman. So it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to get it wrong. You won't be nice enough. It's just something will go wrong. So you might as well know what you did wrong. And, you know, and then she'll have got something to be, you know, upset about for the rest of her life. And Please send, Sarah in Hull, please send us photographs. I now really want to see the bridesmaid dresses. Oh, yeah. And the surly teenager at the end holding an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> the creature from the ring in black with an iPad. <laughs> she refused to wear the dresses. She's just, <laughs> just wearing a bloodstained nightdress. <laughs> We're horrible. We really are. The responses, part two. I'm looking forward to this. Annabelle in Wellen. I am also soon to be a bride and understand these issues well. I would tell the aunt, you can't have any more bridesmaids, unfortunately. Yeah, because the bridesmaids bit is full. <laughs> Yeah, make up that rule. Um, but would offer to give the awkward cousin a special job at the wedding instead. Hand out order of service cards or do a reading or show people to their seats. An usherette. That's it. She'd love that. Yeah, very good. Uh, she could have a seating plan on her iPad. It'd be good. Yeah, nice. Um, Andy in Southsea. Why not ask the cousin to be a flower girl, replete with lacy dress, bonnet and basket? Okay, that's cruel. That's like bullying. <laughs> Dressing her up as Bo Peep. 
<laughs> no, there you go. You look great. Yeah. Enjoy that. Uh, even better, if there are a couple of five-year-old relatives she can do it with. Oh, stop it. Uh, that should give them something to think about. Claire from Norfolk. What is the worst that can happen if you put your foot down? I can't imagine it matters whether your relationship with your weird aunt gets any worse. Have the day you want. Don't have regrets. Maybe find something else for your cousin to do. Could she video the day on her iPad? <laughs> It'll save you a fortune on a professional. Yeah, and in the video, there are lots of people turning around going... (laughs) When they see the creature from the ring holding an iPad. Hello. Uh, James Menfield. My advice is to show some charity to your awkward cousin. Oh, James had to come on and spoil our fun. Now we've got to be nice to the cousin. You're right, James, of course. Ask her if she wants to be the bridesmaid. Maybe this is her only chance, as well as an opportunity to escape her iPad and launch into the real world. If the cousin wants to be a bridesmaid, she will be forever thankful. Future babysitter there. See, James, is, now, James, you are... Something I read that and I kind of think, oh, you're right. We're all being horrible. Yeah. But but ask her. Because I bet she doesn't want to be... She doesn't want to be a bridesmaid. Who would? You know, the people who are doing it don't want to do it. <laughs> if you ask any of your three friends, do you want to swap out? They go, okay. <laughs> yeah. Pin her in that dress. And finally, George in Rutland. Sarah, you either need to buck up or reduce numbers to immediate family and very close friends. If you wouldn't go for dinner with them, why invite them to your wedding? Uh, oh, all right, George. Yeah, very well. yeah wise words. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give the uh, waitress of churros to uh, Claire from Norfolk with her uh, videoing the day on the iPad advice because that amused me. It tickled me. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, she is here, my first guest of the day. She is the Eurovision unicorn. <laughs> 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 she, she is she is the unattainable. We didn't know at the time that she was a mythical beast, but 25 years have turned her into one. Uh, how are you, Katrina, I'm of the waves? Well, I'm so well, Graham. I've been called some things in my time. Unicorn. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, no, because I was saying earlier, because, uh, you know, we had, a, we had a dry spell up mm. until 97. We hadn't won since 81. But we'd come second a couple of times. You know, it didn't seem so impossible yeah. in 1997 yes but we didn't know to savor the moment <laughs> did you did you know how did what did it, did it feel amazing at the time or did it feel right i was 100% sure that we were going to win but i kept having people in my ear saying haven't you heard of the political voting? We can't win because of political voting. I think we won because of political voting. It was 1997. It was Britpop, Oasis, things can only get better. Tony Blair was coming into power. Princess Diana, absolutely fabulous. You know, there were all these kind of feel-good associations with the UK. And I think the the competition took place in Ireland. I think people had a really good feeling about us. They kind of forgave us because I was American. That may have helped. <laughs> Although it was requested that I try and tone down my American accent. Oh, somewhat. really? Yes, from the, by the BBC. Okay, because they were, well, know? they're pretty embarrassed. Because, well, a little bit, yeah. yeah especially yeah. look at me. I mean, one of these days I'm going to learn to talk good. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and just there's uh, just a little reminder of uh, Love Shine a Light. Oh, there it is. And also, it was that thing... I mean, just listening to it there, it was... Even then, 
that it was unusual that the song went on to become a global hit. The Eurovision winner was normally, you know, the Eurovision winner, everyone's delighted. But, you know, there was ABBA and there aren't many people who had what you had. Yeah, it did resonate with people. It was on Songs of Praise and there was a dance version that was a huge hit on the West Coast of America. And we didn't really see that happening. We were on top of the pops four weeks in a row. It got higher in the charts than our hit from 1847, Walking on Sunshine. (laughs) So, you know, we were kind of amazed at how well it was doing. And it was just because it had the right ingredients and it was like a the zeitgeist of the time feel good things are getting better you know before 9-11 before all those fun things happened to all of us yeah I mean it, it's odd because it's only when you say 25 years ago you, you have to accept it but it, I mean I, I'm, I'm sure you're the same it does not feel like 25 years ago no uh, about last year it felt like four years ago <laughs> and now this year because I'm being reminded of it so many times it's the full 25 yeah we're the full 25 here. It took a lot of big sexy to get the hair up today and, you know, the rest. You're looking good, though. And, and of course, what's, what's great is that, you know, love shines a light, Eurovision shines a light. You know, as you say, yeah. this time of year, people go, oh, yes, she's the amazing woman who brought it home. So uh, what a great time to be uh, talking about new music because you're, you're yes. back, you've got new music. How do you, how does that happen in with you and new music how do you know it's time how does it ferment all of that well i start drinking a lot and staying <laughs> home and get very netflixy and then i decide that i've really got i am a singer i'm a musician and i need to do something but of course it's terrifying graham because you don't know if you're going to be able to write something or what you're going to come up with is going to be any good so there's an awful lot of doubt you just have to jump in and do it the reason i wrote the song holiday is I wanted a great comeback song. I wanted a great feel-good icebreaker comeback song. So I thought, I'll write something with a fantastic chorus. But buried inside the lyrics of the verses are all kinds of cheeky little ironic things about the world today. But hopefully people won't even, they might not even notice that and just start singing along. I mean, you've got to come up with a chorus that has no words and then everybody will sing it, right? Yeah. Across the world. Yeah, yeah. And who do you work with? Who do you call when you when you've written the song? Who who's the person you call? Um, I just I I work alone. It's just it's just me. And then I will take it to a producer friend of mine, and he will have his back to me as he's listening to it at the desk. If he doesn't spin around, I know he thinks it's. Oh, it's like the voice. Uh, get the back. <laughs> well, oh my God, it was like the voice exactly. <laughs> And it it really happens. And I'm looking at the back of his head and I'm thinking, he's not turning around. It's a dud. It's not going to, this one isn't going to fly. And then you get this sort of the half turn, like maybe with a little work we could polish this turd. (laughs) Uh, but But this was a full turnaround, I'm sure. This is a what? This was a full turnaround, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, this one yeah. got the full turnaround. He yeah. said, well, I like the cheekiness of the lyrics and the, the chorus is pretty good. Let's see what happens. So obviously during the pandemic, we couldn't do anything. And I thought, well, this is getting too slacks and sweatpants and Netflixy. So let's get on with it and let's write something and let's put it out there. And of course, with the 25th anniversary, it was the perfect time. No, it is. I mean, that's what I say. It's great that you know that just wait a year. I don't, I don't know much. I do know that. (laughs) Experience has taught you that. It's great, isn't it? Uh, Here's Katrina and her new single, Holiday. It is out now. Let's have a listen. 
this new single, Holiday. It's well, I turned around fully. Um, <laughs> no, I was saying to you, I was like, it's got that nice kind of uh, a folk feel. Is that from living down in Cornwall or what's where's that? I don't from? live in Cornwall. Oh, no, I just live? had my holiday. No, I live in London. I live in London. I live in Northwest London. Didn't you write a book about being down in Cornwall? Or something? I did. Yeah. Well, my poodle did, but my poodle also wrote Peggy Lee loves London. She's named after the singer, of course. No, I live in London. My mother's Irish, and I just like I should Catherine O'Neill from County Armagh. Oh well, there you go. I, I mean, I, I that just, explains. I it. needed a happy, feel-good drinking comeback song, Icebreaker, and I thought that was it. No, that is it. I believe it's called Rousing. Rousing. That's, that's it. What it is. Yes, it's rousing. <laughs> yeah, holiday. Uh, tell me this, uh, Katrina. Will you be watching next Saturday? Will you? Do you still watch the Eurovision, or is it? Or are you just thinking, oh, look, I won it. What more do you want? Well, it's a night of PAs, so I sort of slip around. I do a few bits and pieces oh. here and there, usually for charities and hospitals and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'll get back home. I'll get the champagne and uh, start watching. And seriously, you know, getting down and dirty into it. I mean, honestly, Graham, a lot of the songs they don't so much grow on you as sort of lose their offensiveness you know but I don't really ever watch the Wednesday or the Friday because I want to try and hit it fresh yeah and the ones that are weeded <clears throat> why do we need why do I need to know about them yeah you know I'm I think Sam is going to do well I think he's extremely confident I think it's probably the best thing we've chosen since Andrew Lloyd Webber and Jade came together and Andrew Lloyd Webber, he, he was such a star. He went around Europe and he did loads of promotion. He asked people, will you vote for us? And they said, yes, we will, icon legend you, that yeah. you are. We will. And that's what it takes. You can't just sit around and think, you know, um, it's going to happen automatically. It won't. And actually, Sam has done a good job. He has been going around Europe yes. and doing PAs and stuff and on various shows and stuff and getting a really nice response. And that's the thing. He was very good yesterday uh, talking about how, you know, Europe doesn't hate the UK as much as the UK thinks it does. Yeah. I, I, when it comes to Eurovision, I don't think people care that much. They just want nice music and nice people. Listen, what's going to happen this year? Ukraine is going to do very well and rightfully so. And I think people will be voting with their hearts on that one. But also the song is very good. And I I think Sam is going to do very well because he's credible. He's got an enormous amount of followers. He's good looking. I hear the staging for him looks amazing. Yeah. Do you know anything about that? I've seen a little, I've seen a picture of it. The BBC have obviously pulled their finger out this year and gone, right, we cannot come bottom again. And when are you going out to Turin? Uh, I am leaving on a jet plane, thanks for asking Katrina, on Thursday. And I'll be doing the show from a hotel in Turin. Wi-Fi willing uh, oh, next weekend yeah. from a hotel. Why? Why won't you be there? No, no, I'll be in Turin. You'll be in in a hotel. Yes, but doing this show. Ah, and then, and then I go to the stadium to see the. Oh, the I get thing. you. Yeah, yeah. and it's, is it a hoot? Do you get really nervous before the show, thinking uh, that you've got to be funny? You naturally will be, but you can kind of forget that you are. Yeah. Well, sometimes I, you know, well. I, I can't imagine what it's like for the performers, for mm. you, because it is such a long night. Yeah. And you get, to, you have the opposite of problem to me. You, it's such a long night, you only get to do something for three minutes. Yes. And the rest of it is just worrying and sweating. and Sure. Da-da. And, 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 
hoping that you're going to get into it and and get funny and probably as the night goes on you do get funnier but i mean for me it was the most nerve-wracking trouser cacking two and a half minutes of my entire career the backup singers were on beta blockers hey thanks for sharing the drugs before the show you know oh um you know a 24-piece orchestra to a click to the band and you know with, with the way the song comes in and steps You've got stairs and heels. Oh, yeah. come on. It was, and also, I think people don't understand the pressure of, you know, it's very rare that you do a television performance where it's completely live. You don't get a second chance. Yeah. Da, da, da. So yeah. you've got to be in exactly the right bit in your head. But I mean, listen, you obviously were. You won. You yeah. won the thing. I know, but I didn't know anything about Eurovision. I mean, I'd never seen it before we did it. And when we were selected to be in it, then I was sent stacks and stacks of videotapes of old Eurovisions and they was told, right, you've got to watch this over the weekend, get your head around it. I thought I was going to kill myself. I mean, just you know, like a poodle short of a circus, most of them. Grannies, babushkas, breasts, kettle. I mean, you know, it was just... It it's was, all going on. It was blowing my mind and I was thinking, wh- how? How did I get here? <laughs> And, and do you do you have the trophy or do the BBC have the trophy? Oh, did you ever see the trophy? It looked very much like a, a wooden toilet seat and it weighed a ton. <laughs> and then we were expected to carry it around to all the TV shows and hold it up. The guy who wrote the song, Kimberly Rue, he was like, you carry the toilet seat. Like, you, it's your turn to carry the toilet seat. I mean, hopefully they've scaled it down and made it a bit more of a bijou award. It, yes, I've seen it. I haven't. Oh. Yes, it, it's sort of a... It, it's sort of a glass microphone now. Oh, okay. Uh, but but where is the wooden toilet seat? I don't. It's probably at Kim's house. Okay. I, I don't know. Probably on his toilet in his guest bathroom. <laughs> yeah, he's probably installed Seriously, it. Seriously, it's almost functional. <laughs> Katrina, so, so lovely to see you. Yeah, you too, uh, Looking well and sounding great. Good Thank luck you. with the new single, Thank Holiday. Thank you so much. And, uh, and I'll give Sam your best wishes when I talk to him tomorrow. Okay, ciao, bello. <laughs> okay, take care. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Well, I told you I'd be talking to him, and he's here. Joe Alwyn joins us. Conversations with Friends uh, starts next Sunday, the 15th of May, on BBC Three, and then all episodes will be on the BBC iPlayer. Uh, Congratulations on this. I've watched five or six of them. Thank you very much. And I didn't mean to. I only meant to watch one or two. Didn't mean to watch them. Uh, (laughs) And then look. Then look what happened. Look what happened. Uh, So, presumably, I mean, is there a lot of pressure on you guys? Because Normal People was such an enormous hit. Mm. I mean, I suppose there's nerves and pressure on anything. It's uh, it's definitely a follow-up of sorts, but I think it's quite nice that, even reading the book, it doesn't feel like Normal People Part 2. It's quite different, and whilst kind of aesthetically and tonally, it's in the same world, and it's Sally Rooney, and it's Lenny Abramson who's made it. Um, it feels different, I think, and that kind of space between is quite nice um, to relax in. And also what's weird is, given that it's her first book, not her second book, mm. it, it as a story, it feels more grown-up. In mm. that there are more adults in it, <laughs> yeah. And 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 on that note, also because normal people, it's there was a more kind of traditional motor driving it with two people. You know what you're rooting for when they were together apart, together apart. And in conversations with friends, there's, there's a kind of there's four, and so there are various possibilities. Um, so what are you what are you telling people about those four people? Well, how much do you how much do you want viewers to know going in? Like, who are you, for instance? Who am I? And who are those other, who are those other three people? Um, so there's 
Francis, who I am not, <laughs> Nick, who I am, Melissa, um, and Bobby. And um, it's the story's kind of told through Francis, who's a 21-year-old student in a Trinity. And it's a kind of coming-of-age story for her, um, but also a kind of modern love story, um, I suppose asking at its heart, can you love more than one person at once? Um, and can you find love and happiness and intimacy outside of conventional constructs of relationships, friendships, families, marriage? Can you find, can you break those and find love elsewhere? And I, it's so weird because I met um, Alison Oliver, who plays Frances. Oh, okay. I met her about five or six years ago. She was at school oh, really? with the daughter of uh, some friends of mine. Oh. And she was saying she wanted to be an actress. And of course, I was just smiling and nodding, going, yeah, right, that's going to happen. And uh, now look. She's here. <laughs> and she's amazing in it. I mean, it's her first, it's her first job um, leading drama school. And she's just, yeah, she's absolutely incredible. And for you, I, I was watching it thinking, how do you pitch playing an actor or do you forget about the fact that you are an actor because obviously if you're an actor mm. you think actors are normal <laughs> what are you implying well I, I think people outside of the industry <laughs> have a different expectation of who an actor might be I think I no I didn't kind of think about too much the fact that I'm playing I'm an actor playing an actor um I think I, I can relate to the weirdness of the job and this and the kind of ups and downs and just the strangeness that comes with it all but um but I didn't kind of think about it too much about the actor side of it and I don't know who the hell is the vocal coach for the production company that makes these but they are good I hope so Thank no, you. I, no seriously <laughs> I was watching it thinking is he from Ireland because it was about like with Daisy Edgar Jones her accent was yeah. so flawless yeah uh, so are you just very good at accents well, there's a, there was a brilliant um, dialect coach called Neil Swain um, who worked with me because um, I was the one having to do an accent. Um, and Lenny, who directed it, is actually from that area, which is quite useful. It's a kind of South Dublin accent. So it's quite anglicised in a way anyway, which was sort of useful. But, I mean, I just did a lot of listening to, like, Andrew Scott and Tom Vaughan Lawler and, like, <laughs> the soft kind of South Dublin accent. And... Uh, the character is married to someone who in, who in our story is British and he's been away to drama school in London and stuff. So the idea was that it would be some of those sounds would have become slightly softened. No, it is so subtle, oh, but thanks. so well done. It really is. Thank it you so really, much. really, really is impressive. And now you now won a Grammy. When did you win your Grammy? Just this most recent Grammys? Uh, the one last year, yeah. Oh, it was last year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And do you actually have your Grammy? Not on me today. No, no, sadly, no. Didn't bring it in. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, I do, I do, which is surreal and quite lovely. And is this where they change the rules, where everyone who's credited gets a Grammy? I have no idea. Um, I don't know. I think I think if you're part of it or part of something to a, a certain percentage of the album, then then the Grammy's on the way to you. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, it was a nice surreal um, bonus. <laughs> of lockdown really. well, no because you've got to think you know as you head out to be an actor of all the awards you're going to win <laughs> yeah, a Grammy a Grammy seems unlikely but well done you I'll take it yeah and the other thing I would say when I was just going through your um, your film this there's lots of period costumes in this so was this nice to kind of play a, a contemporary person it was really nice not to get into some form of a corset and get on a horse yeah <laughs> to wear a t-shirt and jeans um, was quite refreshing and saves a lot of time um, as much as I love 
a bit of sword fighting and a period <laughs> film. Uh, it was nice to be in the 21st century. And uh, I, earlier I was saying, you know, when Bridget, the second Bridgerton came out, mm. people were like, where's the where's the friskiness? Where's the hoo-ha? Mm. Uh, and I was saying there is no such disappointment with Conversation <laughs> with Friends. <laughs> <laughs> what you what you saw normal people <laughs> I mean it's not the same but it's 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 all it's yeah, all I mean there. it's there in the book and so it's there and it's there in the series um and it's a big part of the story and actually for the two characters particularly Nick and Francis it's a big part of how they are able to communicate they're not great speakers full stop and not very good at knowing what they're feeling let alone saying it out loud but um but they they're quite good at communicating physically shall and it's, say. N- it's never gratuitous Joe it's never gratuitous it's it's well, that's good <laughs> tastefully done. no Lenny I mean Lenny always spoke about those kind of scenes like extensions of conversations and that they're each there with a slightly different meaning and feeling and telling a different kind of story so they're not just there for for the sake of it no 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 no, 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 no. and is it Croatia in the book is France in the book oh, that's what I thought yeah. yeah yeah. but we went off to Croatia for a month which was okay. pretty lovely I thought that was so sweet that you didn't just pretend it was France <laughs> in the show yeah <laughs> gotta be honest yeah God. so so truthful <laughs> and I must give a shout out to um, uh, Kerry Fox who's so great as yeah. kind of uh, what is, is she a kind of literary agent she yeah she sort of plays the literary agent to Melissa who, who Jemima Kirk plays and she owns this beautiful villa in Croatia where we all go for a couple of weeks Wow. And uh, presumably Conversations with Friends is being rolled out across the world. It's, it's starting here on BBC Three, but then it'll be on in America. I think so. I think on May 15th it comes out uh, in America as well on Hulu. Oh, OK. Yeah. So will you be over there promoting it as well? I think I will. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I yeah. will. Yes, I will. And um, do say hello to Alison uh, when you see her on the I will, thing. of course. What, I mean, how exciting for her, though. First I know, gig. I know, it's amazing. I think she's... I mean, she should be absolutely thrilled and... Uh, it's just amazing. She's in every single scene of the thing. Like it's her, it's her story, and she just does the most phenomenal job. Yeah, no, because I, I was, you know, you we were watching her and thinking, mm. like, how are so you? Did able you to- just recognise her? No, I, when it, the casting was announced, my friends were like texting me, kind oh, of going, okay. "You met her in our kitchen." Okay. <laughs> I was like, "I do remember meeting her in your kitchen quite a long time I will ago." Remind her. Yeah, but I was just watching it and just thinking, like, how do you? know how to do that you know in yeah. the you know I think it was just a scene where she was walking down the street or something yeah. and just with no self-consciousness no awkwardness I, she yeah. was brilliant yeah she's brilliant I mean you're very good too Joe I mean well, obviously you. but you're, you're an old hand you know what you're doing <laughs> but uh, anyway listen good luck with it it starts uh, next Sunday uh, on BBC3 and then it's all on the iPlayer so you can binge it because there's a bunch of episodes how many episodes I think there's 12 half hour episodes so it's the same format as normal people Wow. Good luck. Well done, you. Thank you. All right. Take care of yourself. And I'll see you uh, tomorrow night at BAFTA. I'll see you there. Take care. See you there. Thanks, Graham. All right. Take care. Bye. Still to come, we preview this year's Eurovision entry with Sam Ryder. But first, let's catch up with show chef Martha for some of her own tasty recipes. Ding, ding. Now arriving at Platform One, it's the food trolley (laughs) with Martha Collison. Hello, Martha. Hello. Uh, So this continues our cheesy weekend. Uh, What you got? What you got? Well... I have another cheesy thing for you today. It's something sweet. Um, and you would always associate cheesecake with cheese. But this is a cheesecake with a little bit of a twist. This is a burnt Basque blueberry cheesecake. So it does has got a quite a burnt yes. look about it. And I mean, I thought when I heard you were making a burnt cheesecake, I thought maybe the top might be a little charred. But this looks like the whole thing has been... Well... 
maybe from the side that you're on, it looks at this, the little bit of the sides go, but the middle should be silky smooth and pale. It's just the top and very outer sides where it touches that tin that get this lovely caramelised flavour. So it does look, it looks a little scary, but I promise I did it intentionally. I yes, hope I must you'll say, enjoy it. It, it. it looks more burnt than I thought it would. <laughs> It, it, yeah, you, you, I know. I know. I'm an idiot. It says on the paper, "burnt past cheesecake." It's burnt, it, but it actually is burnt. Um, so this, uh, we'll get into the recipe later. But but this doesn't this doesn't involve one of those Bunsen burner blowtorchy things, does it? No, I feel like that might take your burning to a slightly new level. You probably could if your oven doesn't get ridiculously hot. So the key to this recipe is an oven that gets to a very high temperature, two forty. So it's like as high as your oven's gonna go. Oh, okay. So you could potentially use a blowtorch some people do or you could put it under the grill at the end but basically the way that you cook it so it gets that really caramelized burnt top keep and the middle stays nice and wobbly is the high temperature and then you get that nice wobbly middle and what makes it a basque cheesecake the burnt bit or the cheese (laughs) i think it's where it was created oh i see so it's created in san sebastian about 30 years ago I'm guessing, I couldn't find a story about it, but I'm guessing it was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the then, oven, someone forgot to turn the oven down. <laughs> I think it was a mistake, and then someone tasted it and thought, do you know what, that actually tastes quite nice. It's a bit like a, a pastel donata, where you get that slight bitterness and then the sweet custard underneath. Ooh, you listen to you with your foreign tongues. <laughs> uh, right, I'm going to taste some blueberry burnt Basque cheesecake, and channeling my inner Jane Middlemas, I will try to have some <laughs> tasting notes. Uh, it's delicious, it's very good. The, oh, because uh, it doesn't have a, it, so it's one of those cheesecakes that doesn't have a base. Yes, it is baseless. No buttery biscuit base on this one. <laughs> it is baseless. <laughs> it is baseless. Um, but so I thought, oh, I'm missing the base. But actually, that because the, the blueberries aren't in it. The blueberries are kind of a blueberry. Is it a compote? Oh, I, I guess you could call it a compote. Yeah, I don't Let's actually know what the, the blueberry definition compote. is. Let's yeah, go for it. It's a blueberry compote <laughs> on top, and that brings all the kind of the sweetness that you yes. could ever want. And then the texture of the cheesecake, it's really, it's got a kind of a, it's got a bit of grain to it, like a bit mm. of texture, more texture, you know, it's not gelatinous. It's Yes, it's not yeah. a fridge cheesecake where yeah. you just kind of, yeah, add the gelatin and it sets in the fridge all cold. It's got a bit more body to it. Like yes, no, it has, yeah. Filling, I would say. Filling. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I couldn't eat a whole one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I could eat a slice. I've just, I have consumed a slice. Okay, so how, I sense, because I think people hear cheesecake and they think, oh, that's, super easy I'll just you know mash up some digestive biscuits and uh, shove them on top and put them in the fridge but this is harder it's a little bit harder if you've made a baked cheesecake before that you've baked I would say it's a bit easier than a baked cheesecake okay because you've got no base baseless (laughs) Baseless. (laughs) we've established that yeah and often with a baked cheesecake they want you to put it in a water bath so that the middle doesn't get shut up and nobody has time for that (laughs) so there's none of that faff I promise there's none of that faff okay (laughs) so we'll start by you want to get a deep cake tin so the secret to getting that middle nice and kind of silky is having a deep tin if you have a shallow tin it will just be quite cakey all the way across and a bit dry and that'll make everyone sad (laughs) (laughs) so you get yourself a deep cake tin then you want to line that with two big sheets of baking parchment now this is a good dessert if you're not worried about being neat because you don't want it to be kind of pressed into each edge you want it to have a little bit of ruffle to it a little Mm. bit of rusticness so you kind of layer in those two sheets and it's important to use two otherwise the heat from the outside of the tin will penetrate too quickly so that helps protect the little cheesecake from 
the aggression aggression of the oven. Okay, <laughs> Mr. Scientist over there. Yes. Yeah. So then there's actually not many ingredients to the filling of it, which is quite nice. So we're going to take some good quality cream cheese. I'm using Waitress's organic one because you just get a little bit more flavour because it's one of the only ingredients in this. So we've got some cream cheese. We've got some sour cream to give a bit of tang, caster sugar, eggs, and then a little bit of lemon zest and some corn flour. So that's everything that goes into the cheesecake itself. Mm-hmm. We're going to start by just mixing together the cream cheese, the sour cream and the sugar, then add in the eggs. And you don't want to whisk it too much. You don't really want air. You want kind of flat silkiness. Dense. Dense. It is dense. <laughs> it is quite, it yeah. should be dense. Yeah. I mean, a cheesecake that wouldn't, wasn't dense, I think everyone would. Yeah, it's a baked cheesecake. It's no supposed to be dense. Want yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to mix that together, then put in your lemon zest and pour it into your tin. Preheat your oven to 240 degrees and make sure it's properly hot before you venture in. Give your cheesecake tin a big tap on the surface to get any of the bubbles inside to pop to the top so that you have no little cavities. Top tip. That is a top (laughs) tip there. Because I have eaten cheesecakes that do have kind of weird holes in it. Yeah, Yeah. you don't want that. No, okay. (laughs) Then it goes into the oven for about between half an hour and 45 minutes. That Um, long? Yeah, so quite a long time. You want to keep an eye on it in the last 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's a fine line between a little burnt and completely singed and you want... Want a little bit, a little bit burnt, and if it's not browning, so everyone's ovens are slightly different. Crank up the grill just for the very final minute or two to get that brown top, but it will still feel really wobbly when you get it out, and you'll think this is never going to set. But as it cools, those proteins will set, and it will become a lovely soft cheesecake. And then whilst that's happening, just make your compote. All you need is blueberries, sugar, bit of lemon juice. Mix it all together. Add a bit of corn flour to thicken it, and that goes on the side. See, I, th- I do feel like you'd need to be quite confident <laughs> those last 15 minutes. Because when you were describing the ingredients, I thought, oh, yeah, I can mix that up, but yeah. no problem. But, but that last 15 minutes, I think you need to be a very confident baker to I know th- that it's going OK. I think, yeah, possibly. And you have to be quite confident host to be able to pull this one out of the fridge <laughs> and say that it's meant to be like that. But people who taste it will say, oh, yes, I can see why. You've burnt it because cheesecake can be a bit insipid if it's all just sugary, sweet, creamy. So yeah. try it, see if you like it. Yeah, <laughs> give it a whirl. <laughs> and if it goes too far, just chuck it in the bin. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would have a, I would have a plan B if I <laughs> if I was having people around. Have a plan B. <laughs> have last week's pavlova base with cream in, oh, yes. in the cupboard. Yeah, <laughs> easy peasy. Uh, thank you so much, Martha. Have a lovely week. You're welcome. All you right. too. Take care of yourself. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Next Saturday night, all eyes will be on Turin and this man. He is representing the United Kingdom at the 66th Eurovision Song Contest. His name is Sam Ryder. Hello, Sam. How's it going, Graham? You okay? I'm so well. So well, Sam. I have to say, I haven't met you before, but I love you. I love that you've turned all that kind of Eurovision negativity that can mess people's heads up and you've turned everything into a positive. You're doing an amazing job. Thank you so much, mate. I really appreciate it. I know you're a huge fan of Eurovision like I am. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm really excited to meet you, actually, um, when you fly out here and, uh, yeah, just have a chat, all things Eurovision. And, um, yeah, thanks again to you and your team for having me on the show. I appreciate oh, d- it. Oh, don't be mad. So, listen, you've done, is it two rehearsals now? Yes. Yeah, yeah, we finished the second one yesterday. And I have to say, I looked at the, they release, you're at the EBU, release little clips, and it looks stunning. The staging, they've done an amazing job with you, Sam. 
Yeah, we've um, we've been working on it since um, I got the call in January asking if I'd be sort of up for being involved, which of course I <laughs> like I bit their hand off. <laughs> um, we've been trying to work out staging like since day one, and sort of it's so you know as well as everyone else, like it's so crucial to get that right at Eurovision. It's such a big factor and. Uh, the styling and everything like that. So yeah, I appreciate that you like it. You know Ooh. what? It's so hard to keep anything under wraps, isn't it? At Eurovision, everything gets leaked and shared so early. <laughs> it is, but at the same time, what's kind of good is, I mean, I know what you mean, but it kind of just builds the excitement. I think having a little, have seeing a little taste of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, yesterday was the first time people got to see the outfit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I um, you know what? I think it was like two hundred and ten over two hundred and ten hours spent on that outfit. Uh, Fifteen thousand beads and pearls and whatnot. But it looks wicked, and it feels so cool to like have it on. Kind of gives you like a bit of extra confidence in a way. It's really strange, but um, yeah. Shout out to the team for putting that together, and um, like all of us working together to make that happen and listen tell me about it because we know sorry i know and i think a lot of the listeners will know that you are a big kind of tiktok sensation you've got what is it uh over 12 million followers you've got nearly 100 million likes but how did that happen were you were you just a guy who likes singing and decided to put up some tiktok videos or what who were you before tiktok well, Graham, honestly, TikTok happened because I sung Britney Spears, Hit Me Baby One More Time, as high as I could in my mum's kitchen. And I went to bed that night and woke up and like two million people had seen it, which is bonkers. And then it kind of snowballed from there. So um, I, I had no expectation about what TikTok or, like, or those videos that I was posting on TikTok could do for me. It was just the love of singing. And um, I, like a lot of other people around that time, had more than time on my hands. <laughs> stand in the corner of my shed and just sing my head off into my phone and um yeah it made like I'm so grateful for that time in a way because it made me fall in love and find the joy again in singing and really like dig through some of my favorite songs I hadn't heard in years and now I'm here about to get ready to sing Eurovision so life is um incredibly strange but I'm just yeah coming back to the gratitude and how thankful I am because it easily couldn't have happened and um yeah, I'm here. I'm here now. So fingers crossed. I'm going to do my absolute best. <laughs> oh, well, also what I loved, I heard you on, I think it was this morning you were talking to Phil and Holly and you were saying that, you know, that you that you want the love of singing to kind of outdo the fear of the competition. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah like I said on that show and um, like I know that Phil, I can tell Phil's a, like a big Eurovision fan too, but him, like a lot of other people were kind of, hurt maybe and that's understandable it hurts to come last and but i would hate for it to become too much of like the fabric of our small talk always thinking that we're not liked by other countries and i really think that we can do better than that and flip that narrative because that sort of negativity becomes habitual and it's not necessarily true it's just a negative story and a negative thought pattern that you cycle and loop over and over again in your head until it becomes the fabric of your small talk and then your belief system essentially so i think we can switch that and regardless of the scoreboard like my enthusiasm for singing is way greater than my fear of where i come on the night like it's about the love of singing about not having expectation because singing's already given me everything that i love in life and music like 
it gives me all the joy that I could possibly need. So expecting to have anything more in exchange would just, will first of all be greedy and also take the magic out of the whole love of it. So whatever happens on the night, it doesn't matter, but I would just love if people back home use this opportunity to get together with the people that they you know love most in the whole world, get in front of the TV, cook some food and just bask in the bonkersness that is Eurovision. I guarantee you'll have a good time. And if the scoring scares you or annoys you. <laughs> no, I know. I, I absolutely agree with you. Because last year, yeah, we, did, we didn't do well and, and poor James didn't have the best night. But, uh, but what was amazing was sitting there knowing that back in the UK, people were coming together for the first time in a couple of years. You know, and yeah. that, that tradition that families and people share of coming together to watch Eurovision on that night. Because it's, you know, it's been going, you know, 66 years. So it's a, you know, people have watched it with their grandparents. People have watched it with their kids. It's just, it's lovely it's a great night i think yeah absolutely man it's one of the most joyful bonkers nights of the year so we may as well um milk it <laughs> <laughs> listen i'll tell you what uh, we'll talk some more but let's hear uh, this is this isn't the version you're going to be doing next saturday night this is the live version you did here for chris at the top of the tower Oh, yeah, very early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, that's what I want to ask you, because I worry, I worry for you. Are you like old leather lungs or, and you don't have to care? Or do you have to kind of lie there with a wet towel wrapped around your head all the time? <laughs> there is a certain mixture. I think you can definitely overthink singing and worry yourself into kind of thinking that your voice is made of glass when it's not, you know. But at the same time, it's just like being a human being and waking up really early in the morning and trying to sing really high is quite, you know, and unfortunately all the radio shows. <laughs> well, listen, I think you sound amazing. I've heard, we've played this version before. Uh, you sound great on it. So listen, uh, we'll talk to you a bit in a bit, Sam, uh, after we hear your live version of Spaceman here at the top of the tower. I'm up in space. There's nothing but space now And I want to go Wow, Sam Ryder singing live. That must be about eight, half eight in the morning. Uh, can you? Be, do, what do you do? You like listening back to yourself, or do you? Are you hearing faults? Are you going? Actually, I sound rather good there. Uh, I, I always. I mean, thank you so much for the kindness, Graham. I appreciate it, man. But I always, um, I always like try and think. You know, taking what I can improve next time, and um, yeah, stuff like that. I'm an absolute bore in that way. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> Um, tell me this. The, 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 so, oh, sorry, Sam. Oh, are you okay? Are the connection still okay? Yeah, am I still here? Oh, yeah, you are. You are. Um, the, the song "Spaceman." Did you? I know you wrote it with a couple of other people. Did you write it specifically for Eurovision, or did the song exist when they came to you? No, no, we wrote it a year and a half ago. Um, it was I wrote it with two friends of mine. It was the first day actually that we'd met, and um, we got into the studio and. It was just one of those absolute dream days as a songwriter because it was written in about 10 minutes. And it doesn't always happen. In fact, it's quite rare. And when it does, it's just, oh, it's just the most beautiful feeling because all you need to do is step out of the way of the song. It already exists almost. That's what it feels like anyway in the room. Yeah. And you're just 
sort of channel it and catch it and stay the hell out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We had Bill Bailey in the studio uh, last year and we were talking about Eurovision and he is a real, he like, he's a muso and he studies Eurovision and he had a few things to say about uh, uh, how to do well Eurovision. So listen to what he said and then we'll talk about Spaceman and how many of those things it hits. Here's Bill. D minor, that's the key. I mean, it's the it's the one. Are winners always in D minor? That it punches way above its weight in terms of keys, in terms of winners, <laughs> <laughs> and not not songs. You know, you want songs about. You don't want walking, running. You don't want any of that. Flying's good. Oh, okay. in the lyrics, flying's yeah. good. Don't mention the heart too too much. Too has been done. <laughs> don't go on about the heart. My heart, my heart. No, forget that. It's got to be the eyes, the mind. <laughs> well, there you go. You got flying. You've definitely got flying in there. Not flying, but unfortunately, I'm in B major. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I, I mentioned the heart in the first verse. So sorry. Oh, but you don't you don't go on about it. You don't go on about it. Uh, no, and listen, you, the the bookies, you're doing very well with the bookies, but you know you don't you don't know what those things mean. Who now that you are you in the stadium? You're meeting the other people. You're listening to other songs. Who are you rating? Who do you think? Ooh, their competition. You know what? Um, I got to see a lot of the artists in the lead-up shows, um, like the pre-parties and stuff like that. And I waited to listen to all of the music until I saw everyone live. And that was so cool because it kind of... um, You get to know all the artists before you even hear their song. And that makes it a lot cooler. It makes it less feeling like a competition or like a battle of music. (laughs) Or like a battle of the bands, rather. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, know, when since we've got here to Turin... You don't get to hang out with the different um, entrants as much in their teams because it's so scheduled. Like you're at the arena for your slot and then you leave and then someone else comes in. So you don't really pass by. But what I would say is I think everyone involved, not just this year, but every year, like they are willingly going on that stage to perform in front of 200 million people. And that deserves nothing but respect, I think. And I've got just such pure admiration for every single person involved i think it's amazing to have um i don't know just the, the guts <laughs> to do something like that no absolutely i i agree with you and and particularly you 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 are you know you're stepping out there and you are you know and it, and like i say you are turning everything into a positive and i i so admire that in terms of your performance i know you do gigs and you tour around but aside from the 200 million people watching tellies, is the arena the biggest place you've performed? Or have you performed in, in spaces like that before? Um, no, I've never performed anywhere like that. I mean, most of the um, my illustrious music career has been to empty pubs <laughs> and clubs, the odd wedding, <laughs> or the corner of a street in the lead up to this whole thing. And um, But you know what, Graham? I've loved every single minute of that. So it was never about the people or kind of the... Um, uh, like the flex of playing in front of more people in bigger rooms, like singing is about so much more than that. It's about like expression and feeling free and finding like tapping into that joy. Um, so I'm kind of remembering myself. I was singing in a room all throughout lockdown in the corner of my shed. Now I'm just singing in another room and it just so happens to be a bit bigger, <laughs> but it's in a room. <laughs> Uh, listen, I, I, I think your attitude is really what we needed. And uh, because it seems to me that you are performing, 
you, yes, you're in a competition. You, you're kind of performing outside the competition. I don't worry about you. I don't mind being on the plane with you on Sunday. <laughs> often, often <laughs> I, I arrange, I arrange to fly back. <laughs> I, I ask what plane the performer is going to be on, and I ask to be on a different one because it can be sometimes a bit awkward. But uh, yeah, I don't mind flying back with you on Sunday. I think you'll be okay. Oh. Honestly, I couldn't, I swear to God, like it's nothing for me to do with that scoreboard. I just want to go there and enjoy it and carry that same intention that I've been singing with and that sort of lack of expectation of anything. Just coming, being present for that moment, which is going to be glorious in itself. Just being able to experience that. Not many singers and performers do. So that's like, you're already winning there. And also it's so much more than about the three minutes at the end of the whole thing. Think about what you can do with your time and this platform that every single person involved is blessed to have during the build-up, what you can do with that, that's like, that's so much bigger than the three minutes in the scoreboard at the end. So uh, will whatever be- happens, enjoy it. Edward, we'd be pleased to know we've just got a text in from Jules Dales Bull and uh, he's been teaching his singing pupils at Baden-Powell and St. Peter's School in Poole, Dorset to sing Spaceman. They all adore it and it's definitely so catchy. It should be a winner. He's just envious he didn't write it himself. Thank you and good luck. Do you see the... The, oh. ch- <laughs> the children are singing. The children are singing. <laughs> Uh, so you have a kind of strange lull now because now they start rehearsing the, the semi-finals. So you don't go back into the arena, I think, till, is it Friday? I think I go in on Wednesday to do something. I've got like one run through. Is that right, guys? Wednesday? Yeah. <laughs> yeah honestly, don't, don't miss it. <laughs> it's just absolute hell on earth. So I just take one thing at a time and enjoy it. And um, But yeah, back in on Wednesday. So uh, yeah. And when- arriving when are you coming out i come out on thursday i come out on thursday so uh hopefully i'll i'll see you uh before i'm sure i'll see you before the big day but uh pace yourself sir pace yourself and i look forward to seeing you in turin like i say i i'm just in love with you and your attitude i just think you are exactly what we needed at this point in time so thank you so much sam Ryder, and uh, good luck from us all here in the uk you're a legend. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Waitrose, check out challenge. We've got two callers on the line. Let's meet them. Uh, first up is Michael. Hello, Michael. Hello, Graham. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon to you. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you very much. Uh, where are you, Michael? Um, I'm in a village called Pillerton Priors, which is just outside Stratford-upon-Avon. Ooh. Is, is your property thatched? Uh, no, no, I did live in a thatched property, but no, it's not. <laughs> Just wondered. And is the sun shining in uh, wherever that place is? Oh, well, let's say Stratford upon Avon. Yeah, it's lovely. It's a really gorgeous day today. Yeah, it's quite warm. Oh, well, thank you for coming inside to play the uh, checkout challenge. Uh, OK, you hang tight. tight. We'll meet uh, who you're playing against. And that is Jill. Hello, Jill. Hi. Hi. And where's Jill today? I'm in Swanland, which is really close to, to Hull, in East Yorkshire. OK. And is the sun shining there? It's absolutely gorgeous here today, yes. Oh, yeah, marvellous. And is playing the checkout challenge the highlight of your day, or do you have other things planned? No, no, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm going to sit in the garden later, but it's brilliant. OK. Well, let me explain what's going to happen. Uh, basically, we I'll be listing 
items from the Essential Waitrose range, okay? I'll put them through the checkout. You'll hear a little beep like uh, this, this one. Yeah, like that. You'll hear a little beep like that as I put the items through. And then in your head, you've just got to be thinking of how much those items might cost, okay? You add them up as I list them off. When you think... I get to a total of £20. OK, £20. You need to shout your name. So, Michael, you'll be shouting Michael. Jill, you'll be shouting mm-hmm. Jill. That's how that works. OK? Uh, mm-hmm. Once the first player shouts their name, the game doesn't stop. We keep going until the second player decides they've got to £20. Whoever is closest to £20 will be the winner of the checkout challenge and will win a Waitrose voucher. Is that clear as mud? Yeah. Y- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, okay. So uh, brace yourselves. Get your, I'm, you've probably got calculators on your phone, but uh, I, I'm not suggesting you cheat. But uh, let's go. Here we go. Okay. Oh, what's this? Two pints semi-skimmed milk. A pack of eight pork sausages. Two hundred and twenty-seven grams of Mountain Blend ground coffee. One kilo of British baby potatoes. Oh, 350 grams of mature British cheddar. 250 grams of unsmoked bacon. I said unsmoked. Four pack, or four pack, of 112 grams of MSC tuna chunks in spring water. 250 grams original blend tea. 300 grams frozen fish fingers. One kilo fruit and nut muesli. Michael. Michael, okay. Six pack ready salted crisps. Jill. Okay. You both. You both said stop. Uh, who had a, a baby crying in the background there? Actually, that was my cat. I've got a Siamese cat, <laughs> so I'm sorry about that. No, I wonder. I wonder what that was. Uh, what, uh, was it the sound? Was it the sound of the tuna chunks? Got the uh, uh, yeah. Got the cat. It was. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, the the people behind the glass have tossed it all up. They have a winner. Here we go. Very tense. Good luck, everybody. The winner of the Waitrose fifty pound voucher is Michael. Congratulations hey. to you. Great. You, ju- you, were, you. you were bang on. You got 20.60 and uh, you were just over Jill with £21.50. So uh, um, congratulations to you both. Uh, Jill, anyone you'd like to say hello to while you're on the radio? Oh, yes, please. I'd like to say hello to my daughter, Rebecca, and her boyfriend, Michael, in Leeds at the moment. Okay, well, go feed your cat. <laughs> and thanks for playing the Waitrose Challenge. Take care. Thank you. And Michael, congratulations to you. Uh, anyone you'd like to say hello to? Yeah, let's like say hello to my husband, Mark, and um, Jamie and Keith, who I've just had a, a fun weekend in Brighton with. Oh, hello. OK, very good. Well, enjoy your shopping at Waitrose, and thanks for playing. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Don't forget to click that subscribe button to hear a new episode every Monday morning. Also, check out our socials at Virgin Radio UK for all the action in the studio and the kitchen with Martha. Speak soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.